Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hi, welcome back to People of Purpose. I'm your host, Tanner Badgley, and this week we will be wrapping up our conversation on the role of relationships in impactful and effective disaster relief efforts. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I highly encourage checking that out. Some of the things we covered are Matt's take on relationships and what he did to begin to understand its importance. He also shared with us his leadership styles and what he does as a leader that sets him apart. Matt also recalls his future in the Indian Punjab region and how this experience has led him to understand his purpose. Lastly, he introduced the organization Food for the Hungry and shared how it has been providing help to the community. And in this episode, we will be covering filling in the gaps within our reach with dignity, being filled up by good relationships for the sake of goodness, and how these relationships allow thriving to happen. Listen also as Matt speaks on having a profound impact despite considering himself as average and the Rohingya refugee crisis in Bangladesh, now coronavirus has taken its toll on them. Let's dive in. Here's to becoming people of purpose. I really like how you talk about being a translator. That's such a, a, a well-chosen word here, I would imagine, because you're you're kind of seeing what all the possibilities are and you're bridging the gaps in that communication relationship to make sure that something can actually get done. And we're not just talking and feeling good about what we're talking about. It's like we're actually creating um, a chain of impact by being mindful of these limitations that exist or these people that don't talk to each other so well. Um, Yeah, I imagine it takes incredible patience too to be to wait for others to kind of see how all this will work out. Cause you've been there and done that. And I imagine you can assess the situation rather quickly. Um, and other people want to really strive and make something happen. That seems rather impossible to be the hero. How do you balance that? Is this where maybe this is where you're talking about being average? Is that, is that what you mean by being average is you don't try to be the hero and make impossible things happen. You're just extremely pragmatic and realistic with the situation. I, I don't know. I tried to be funny with the whole average thing, but there's probably a deeper meaning there. Um, I certainly have been described through my my life as, as average. I was average in academics and average in all these other things, but being average is okay. There are more average people, obviously, than there are remarkable people. Um, It is interesting that we spend so much time talking about leadership when the vast majority of people are not in those positions and for any good activity to happen, there's got to be good followership. <laughs> there is a leadership component inside of the, the act of following. Um, and uh, that's, that's a forgotten majority of the planet. Um, wow. Really. And uh, um, certainly, maybe it's a coping mechanism, but I, I think it's, it's you know, I hold very loosely to things that I think, you know, I have understandings of what I see in the world. 
but I hold loosely to, to saying things are, um, you know, non-negotiable because what if I learn something new and then it shifts my point of view because I don't ever want to find my, I don't ever want to corner myself with my own, um, limitations. Um, so I think that it's a wrong premise. It's the wrong first step of any interaction intervention in, in the relief and development world to believe for a moment that we are the reason a group of people are going to live or die. We are not the hero. There's a gap between thriving and not thriving. And we're deciding to step into that gap and to find a need and fill a need. Um, That shouldn't be hero stuff that, that should be, um, everyday normal stuff. Um, and average people can fill the gaps and should uh, fill these gaps. And in the filling of the gap, it's, it's this being, filling the space that needs to be filled for goodness to happen, for thriving to happen. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you another story, another inspirational person in that I've encountered over the world, over, over my work, um, Sorry, I'm just going to keep going here. <laughs> um, I Early on in my career, I was responding to a massive flood in Mozambique. And um, I was, you know, flown in to, to help. And certainly this hero feeling was, was resting heavy on my, on my shoulders. And um, we were very, very busy and we were doing lots of good stuff. Um, I certainly, I, I can say that I didn't see myself as a hero, but I saw this as an exciting work. Um, meaningful work. And then I I met this gentleman um, from the United States in Mozambique, and he was an older gentleman, and he was like waist deep in this disgusting water carrying supplies. And after a little bit, I learned that this guy had come to Mozambique as a surgeon. He was the top of his field as as a U.S. trained surgeon. You know, he had gone into massive debt to be to get to this technical level of expertise. And what was he doing in Mozambique? He said, well, I came here to do surgeries, but I, I discovered that the thing that was most impacting people's, people's um, quality of life was poor sanitation. So I decided to, to work on sanitation and hand washing has been what I've been working on over the last 10 years or a good chunk of time. So here's a surgeon who set aside what he thought was his life's meaning because the gap that needed to be filled was different. And that is still challenging. That is enormously challenging. Am I willing to put the things that I feel are important and passionate aside to fill Mm. the gap before me, to not avoid the dying man on the stuff? the dying uh, man on the side of the road and, and helped him like the Samaritan did um, fill the gap that you have in your reach. Um, and all of our reach, all, all of our reach is different. Um, you have a reach of all kinds of people. I have a different kind of reach. So fill whatever gap that we can with, uh, with, with a dignity, dignity filled, good relationship and, um, greatness will, will follow. 
That's beautiful, man. How have you? How are you doing with that? I imagine you're better than average. I don't know. Some days are awesome. Some days aren't. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's it's all a part of the it's all part of the the way things go. Um, I have I feel like I have an amazingly rich network of of friends um, who I have worked with and alongside and worked for um, all over the world and. With the crisis, with the pandemic, with with people at war with each other, um, it's civil society. It's normal people with normal, good relationships that are the only hope to find a, a level, of, find a platform to have a civil dialogue again. Um, and uh, I think it's people like me, and there's a lot of them out there um, with good relationships who are who are the you know holding back the tide of anxiety and division and um yeah i don't know i'm average i should be more average there should be more yeah i guess from that perspective is like if the if the new normal or the new average is that people just fill an obvious gap with an obvious you know basic skill set like teaching people how to wash hands like most people are pretty capable of teaching people how to do that 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 should be average that's not a heroic thing but that decision to step away from being in your like expertise that you've devoted so many years of life to and so many dollars to and are gone in debt to and so forth and moved across the world for to abandon that that decision is is what's hard i think for people because we get so comfortable. How do you go about encouraging people to make that hard decision, which then allows them to, to just step into a place that's, that they can be average and still have a profound impact being average? Yeah. Well, um, you know, normally I don't dwell on the averageness quite as much as we have in this conversation. But I, I do try to encourage people to really take a moment and 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 try to chart a path that they'd like to see for themselves, but don't hold on to it. Like that's the only path that they'll ever have. Um, right. Because it's an unwritten future. We get to, uh, we get to make decisions and, and you know, we, we don't ever get to go back, but we get to make a decision that'll, that'll influence the path going forward. Um, I, I try to encourage my teammates and anyone I, I know to, uh, to be self-aware with their, their heart and what's important to them. And, you know, and then follow it. Mm-hmm. Be self-aware and then follow, follow where your heart takes you. Um, and there is great, amazing dignity and goodness that comes from a lot of different activities in life. Um, you know, working in the insurance space. Um, I have a child with special needs. Navigating health insurance in the United States is very challenging. And we have been so blessed, because there's no other word for it, um, by people who, who treat us well and who recognize the dignity that's in us um, and help us navigate the system, the bureaucracy. 
that is a angelic work. Um, mm-hmm. It we all can be heroes in the spaces that we're in, and um, I'm I'm thinking of nurses. You know, I've worked in cholera situations now with the uh, with uh, COVID nineteen happening. Nurses make the world work. They step into a into a impossible space, and so many of them pour out their lives in in care and lift up the dignity of people who are in the most undignified situation. Um, right. So there are so many different ways to uh, you know to just make make your atmosphere, make your ecosystem healthier and better. Right. Yeah, of course. And I think what you said about nurses can transition us to where I think we want to go next, which is about talking about the impact of the coronavirus in some of these spaces. I I know that you sent me an article about that. You said a lot of your intention was to share about the current situation going on in the Rohingya refugee camp. You mentioned that you've opened a new isolation treatment center um, and you're working with community leaders to enable them to be self-sustaining. Um, I'll let you kind of just take the direction on that, but that all sounds really top of mind for you and really interesting, I think, for people to, uh, to key into. Yeah. You know, the, the story of the Rohingya is, uh, um, is one that we don't hear very much about in the United States. Um, and I think that it's important to realize that this is not a situation that all of a sudden just landed in the world. Um, in 1977, the Rohingya, a minority group in what was then known as Burma, now known as Myanmar, were um, declared to be illegal in in the country um, by a by a movement of the hand with a pen. All of a sudden, they went from a citizen to an illegal um, in the country of their birth um, and and a place where their people had been for for many many hundreds of years. Uh, hundreds of years of tension and conflict, interestingly, with uh, right. majority and minority religious groups and ethnic groups and the complexity of the post-colonial era. The, the story is entangled and deep. But in um, in the summer of 2016, 17, that era, um, a number of flashpoints happened and um, th- hundreds of thousands of Rohingya, predominantly women and children, began flooding across the border um, into Bangladesh and created a, a, an, a camp which now has well over a million people. Um, formally, it's officially 880,000, but in reality, it's, it's well over a million. Um, and they moved into what used to be a nature preserve and you can imagine when a million people move into any location, the environmental impact is pretty significant. Um, the people didn't have any infrastructure, no health, no food, no nothing. So they were 100% reliant, um, dependent on, on the international community for aid to live from one day to the next. So Food for the Hungry had been working in Bangladesh since the early 70s. It's one of our oldest offices, doing all kinds of other kinds of work. But um, we, we pivoted our priority and moved to 
um, moved to Cox's Bazaar and initiated a program, which we ended up doing in partnership with Medical Teams International. Um, and it's a primary, it's a series of primary healthcare facilities. Um, I think it's worth noting that Food for the Hungry is doing primary health care. So our purpose, traditionally food security oriented, we're not doing any of that. And why are we not doing that? Because that's not where the gap was. The gap was in primary health care and Medical Teams International, um, a great partner of Integral Alliance that we are members of. Um, we discovered that Food for the Hungry had the legal vehicle, the platform to legally operate um, and the long history in Bangladesh. And MTI had the technical skills and capacities to fit a current and you know, intense need. So mm-hmm. those are the foundations for a, a joint program. Beautiful. Um, so it's been, um, we're in our third year of doing the work now. And uh, we've gone through a number of many crises along the way. Um, but right now we have a situation where a million, uh, roughly a million refugees living in a tightly condensed um, location with poor infrastructure, also during a global pandemic. Um, the, the conditions are ripe for a humanitarian catastrophe. Um, yeah. It is, we are so concerned um, with with the situation there. Um, the United Nations, UNHCR, High Commissioner for Refugees, um, is the main funder for our programs there. And they asked us to pivot our, um, our priority to include um, care for COVID-19 patients. And so we retrofitted a couple of our facilities to be isolation treatment centers. We trained our staff to do um, contact tracing um, and our community health workers, which is a, a a large group of both Rohingya and Bangladeshi um, house-to-house teams that do, typically they do follow-up. So if a, if a mother and child comes to one of our clinics and they've got a concern and the doctor sees them and, you know, the, a solution strategy is developed, then the community health workers will go to that person's home, you know, over the next couple of weeks to check on, check on how they're going. Um, anyway, uh, it's into this, it's in this really difficult situation that we're currently working in. It's very tense. Um, the, the, there's crime, there's poverty, there's hopelessness, there's, um, there's a lot of, uh, anxiety, uh, both in the host community and the Bangladeshi community. You can imagine that if uh, if a million people showed up about you know thirty minute drive from where you live, and all of a sudden they were using all the water and um, resources were being given to them by aid organizations, but I'm not getting anything. You know, every day truckloads of supplies go by, but nothing ever stops. You can see that there's tension and conflict can can easily oh, yeah. arise. But it's uh, it's in our our joint joined teams with Medical Teams International and Food for the Hungry. We have a dynamic team that is the vast majority of whom are Bangladeshi citizens um, working in the refugee camp. Um, and our work is in primary health care. Um, and now the most 
pressing need is absolutely um, COVID-19. Yeah, definitely. How are you guys doing at, at handling COVID-19? Is it, has it started spreading inside the camps or yeah. did you guys seal it off somehow? Or how, yeah, how are you doing that? Well, um, the camp, you know, we've been, so I've been surprised that um, the numbers have not risen as badly as I feared in the camp. Although the, all the ingredients for a catastrophe remain, um, the numbers are rising. Um, and just like here in the United States, whenever you start to talk about numbers, you have to start to talk about testing um, because, a, because a number relates to an actual test that has occurred that has confirmed whatever it is that you're testing. Um, and so numbers can be deceiving. Um, my, my colleague, um, Sabod Kumar from Food for the Hungry, likes to say, if you torture numbers enough, they'll tell you anything. <laughs> um, so, so with that in mind, um, we, we are looking at the, what we know of the virus elsewhere and it doesn't match the, the data, the numbers. So we know that there's a, there's an unknown gap here and we are positioned to handle that, um, that unknown as best as mm. we can. Um, and we're not the only ones working in this space in that camp, um, there's a number of other organizations also putting together and have, have opened now uh, uh, COVID treatment centers, isolation mm-hmm. wards um, in the camp. Um, we hope that they, re- that they are empty. But what we know of the virus is that we can't plan for them to be empty. We, we got to be able, we got to plan um, that this is a, a big deal um, while praying that it won't be. Uh, we would love to be wrong on on this stuff but we can't afford to expect that yeah and imagine it's very densely populated as well there so that social distancing would be very hard to do i would say social distancing and sanitation are next to impossible in a refugee camp setting like this mm-hmm. one um you know traveling southeast asia social distancing is tough anyway um, oh yeah, highly populated areas, the urban downtowns of of Dhaka, of of uh, Mumbai, you know, New Delhi. There, there are throngs of people. The activity and the, you know, there's, you know, people who like to not touch other people don't go there um, because <laughs> yeah. it's just intensely packed with people, and that is uh, that's these are big, big uh, vulnerable realities um in a lot of places in the world so um yeah i take a big breath when i think about the the what could happen in a setting like in like a setting in, in kutupalang refugee camp in uh, in bangladesh um or downtown um accra or you know dar es salaam or cairo or nairobi you know all, all along the way, um, we need to be vigilant and we need to uh, um, realize our interconnectedness um, again, um, irregardless of whether or not we feel threatened. Um, mm-hmm. There are, are the space that we occupy in, in, in life um, impacts your neighbor. Yeah. And what about like support? 
like is support waning as well when the economy starts to go down is it hard for to to have people financially backing this stuff yeah that's a concern you know that's why that's why i like to talk about the rohingya especially to us audiences is because you got to really search in our news feeds to to find anything that's written about the plight of the rohingya refugees in in bangladesh um because i do search it pops up in my in my uh, Google News feed, really easily, but um, but for folks who aren't searching for it, they're not going to see it. Right, um, of course. And so that's why that's why I like to to bring to bring this this people group up. This is a stateless people group. They have no, you know, the country where they were born in. They've they're kicked out of the country right. that they're living in is not going to receive them as citizens. Um, right. So the Kurds, the Palestinians, the Rohingya are all um, people groups who are caught in this in this um, in between zone. That right. uh, that's tough. Once a refugee has become a refugee, on average they remain a refugee for you know twenty years. Right, seventeen to twenty-two years. Right. Yeah, my wife's family comes from a, a hill tribe group called the Karin Hill Tribe from uh-huh. Burma. Yeah. Um, it's on, you know, this group. It's the east oh, yeah. side of Burma, uh, bordering well. Thailand. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I went and stayed in the village for, I think, three different times now, a total of probably 20 days or so. Um, and her dad kind of founded the village in Thailand because he was fleeing, fleeing like what was going on in Myanmar. And he had a lot of friends die. I think his his uh, wife, his first wife, uh, was separated from him, and he's never made contact again. And then he got to Thailand, and they gave him some sort of asylum. And then he started the church and the first school, and then business stuff. Um, and now that village is is in Thailand, primarily with people that have had had have gotten some sort of quasi citizenship going with thailand but it, that's taken a lot of years um to get that so i i understand a little bit of what what this is like yeah um it's definitely like some needs to be more publicized <laughs> yeah you you understand a lot of what it's like because uh the the plight of the rohingya is similar to the plight of the Karen. um mm-hmm. and it's been going on for around the same amount of time now the rohingya ethnically um, there are people of that minority group who live in Bangladesh. So it's natural for them to have fled in that direction. Right. Just like natural for the Karen to have fled towards, um, towards Thailand. Right. Um, these international borders, they cut right through the middle of ethnic groups um, yeah. all over the world. So, uh, so that's, that's one of the realities of, of, of the world that we live in. We've got uh, boundaries that have been established um, Anytime there is a boundary, it cuts through something, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we've got to deal with whatever it's been cut through. Here in Washington State, Interstate 5 cuts right through western Washington and just slices Seattle right in half. And it's like this massive wall that you got to figure out how to get over to get from one side of downtown to the other. Um, the, the impact of how the city has grown once they sliced it in half is, is remarkable. Um, and you can right. see that when boundaries are made, um, impacts on people happen. 
And it usually separates by the haves and have nots. That's like, you know, a forgotten group goes into poverty and gets ill-educated and all this sort of stuff goes on. I was working in San Francisco last year as a as a middle school teacher at a charter school. And the neighborhood I was in was the section in Southeast San Francisco that was separated by the freeway. And so their commute to work in the city was impossibly long. It was an hour or more um, by multiple buses and trains to get there. Um, and so the rents were a lot lower and that's where the, like they've been displaced to within the city. Um, and it was primarily um, low income, African-American, Latino, multiple, like third, fourth generation of poverty. Um, and these students were not getting the kind of education that they needed. A lot of them could not read above a third, fourth grade reading level. They couldn't have math skills at that. The community that they're a part of, um, you know, they they had like a lot of them had like a father missing or something. It, it, there's a lot of drugs going on. It's yeah, this separation and division just makes them kind of get forgotten. There's no more funding. There's not like a much infrastructure going on. While as the rest of the city in San Francisco is super full of the affluence and haves and like people working six figure jobs everywhere in the city. It's quite an interesting split that, that you see going on there. Um, so it's really cool. You talked about the borders kind of separating things. Um, and then when you took, when you look at that at, at a much deeper level than just financial, you're seeing like family members getting split apart. You're seeing like culture dying off. Um, and there's a lot of impacts that go with that. Um, for that people group, they have to try to be a different group that is not their their normal people group um, with different customs and ideas for you know standards of living and so forth. Um, there's a lot of complexity around that. I'm interested to hear what you think yeah. and, and learn have learned about that. Well, I, I've learned and I try to keep learning, um, help but think about the impact on on the First Nations communities of, of North America, Native Americans. Um, you know, the loss of culture, the loss of language, the loss of traditions, um, you know, the loss of land. Um, our, our society, we really value the ownership of land. Um, and right. that notion is not a, a, that's not the same notion of our relationship with land, of the human relationship with land all over the world. There's some some beliefs, some societies that don't own the land. It's almost the reverse. Um, and uh, these, these are the, the places where, where, you know, the friction, the sparks, the, the collisions happen. And uh, the collisions are, it, that's a part of the relationship. Um, mm -hmm. We cannot just slice everything that might offend someone else out of who we are. Right. Um, we can't do it. I can't, a leopard can't change its spots type of thing. Um, but I, but I can treat everybody that I interact with, um, with, with dignity. Um, and, uh, that's pretty much all I can do. Um, you know, the pandemic has, has shown me yet again, how little I'm actually in control of. Um, mm -hmm. and as I think of 2019, or whenever, when I last felt like I was in control of anything, um, the reality was that I, it was just a sense that I was in control. It wasn't true control. There was, there was uh, so many factors bigger than me that um, obviously changed everything about what my days 
you know, how my days work out now. Right. Yeah, definitely. I want to get some of your wisdom on purpose. Like you've been occupying these sort of spaces in a really immersive way. I think what you mentioned about borders dividing people, that concept goes so far right now. You see that with Republican versus Democrat. Um, yeah, it's just you see those divisions everywhere. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your wisdom around purpose um, to see how we can make the world kind of a better place. Um, no matter what people are doing for their occupation or, or so forth. If you were like in a in a space with like, you know, world leaders that had the most decision making power and you had like 60 seconds to have the floor, what would you talk about? How would you um, influence that kind of group of people? You know, I'm I'm thinking back of of all these great leaders and, and thought champions that have gone before that had similar scenarios, Gandhi, you know, Martin Luther King, um, and uh, the the change happens. I don't know the answer to that question. I could I could fill the time with some words, but I don't know. Um, I think that I would probably have to rely on the things that I have the most confidence in, um, and that is that there's thriving relationships and there's broken relationships, and leaders need to contribute to thriving relationships for there to be peace, for there to be harmony, and for there to be a quality of life, um, hope for each next generation. Without hope, um, these things break down. Um, and the divisions that are happening in our country at the moment, um, they didn't just start. This, is, this isn't something that just happened again. Um, and I know that I'm, I'm struggling deeply with where, where the gap is that I should fill, um, this, what is the moment in history calling for, for a person like, like me, um, I'm struggling with finding, um, a confidence. I might have a lot more confidence in identifying that gap in, in other settings. Um, but returning to this this passion of um of ensuring that the person near me feels that i value their dignity the value that god gave them um in word in deed in reality in friendship um in standing in the gap when the privileges that i have received for no purpose of my own um when when that privilege can enable um something good to happen um then then use that stand in the gap you know this kind of comes full circle and i really did want to to bring up you know my first job which is really influential my, my time in bosnia the job was i was a decoy the mandate of the of NATO was to protect aid workers. It was not to protect refugees. My job was to physically stand with, be near minority refugees in the return into their pre-war homes that were surrounded by their enemy, quote unquote enemy. Wow. So if I was there, NATO 
armed forces were required to be there to protect me. So I, in my act of being there, forced a series of events that resulted in a minority refugee group being protected. Um, that's, that's the space to be in. Wow. That's beautiful, man. Huh? Yeah. That's pretty profound. You were the, the decoy to get people protection that they needed. So my final question I think is um, if someone feels compelled to, to better understand this cause, to serve this cause, um, how can, how can our community of people of purpose of listeners um, serve you and your purpose? Well, I mean, there's the, uh, the ready-made ways. All this stuff requires resources and, and time from people. Um, so certainly the FH.org can, can guide you into the priorities of, of the organization that I work for, Food Dangri. Um, I think that um, I would encourage your listeners and, and you and myself, I'm, not, I'm no guru here, um, to continually check our own hearts and be aware of where we're at and fill the gap of our present existence um, with efforts that enable relationships to thrive um, and find invisible ways to do it. Because when you find invisible ways to do it, you'll also find visible ways to do it. But it's important to have, um, it's important to be able to feel the fulfillment without receiving the accolade um, for it. And um, that's part of what makes it real, I think. Um, so there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain right now. And um, being vulnerable, accepting things that just listen, um, learn, reach out, be wrong, accept being wrong, take, take responsibility for it, and then make, make efforts to, to, to correct it. Um, we, Food for the Hungry has a, has a new leader, um, Mark Vizo. And he said the most encouraging thing in a call um, yesterday. And that was, no matter how hard we try, we're going to get stuff wrong. That doesn't mean not try hard to be right. And it also doesn't mean don't do anything until we're 100% sure what we do is going to be right. We have to lean into the dynamics of life. We cannot delay. Um, we can't delay our role in helping our community thrive for fear that we're not going to do it right. So that's somehow inspiring to me. Definitely. Of course, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to me. Thank you so much for sharing your message and serving the greater cause today. Um, yeah, I, I promise to do my best to push this message out to people and to search for the, these invisible ways. I'm really curious as to how that shows up in my life too. Um, and I love to, that, that idea of feeling to f the fulfillment without the accolade. Um, so I will work on that myself. And yeah, thank you so much for contributing your voice to people of purpose today. And I know that 
you're doing a lot of good Samaritan work out there in the world. So thanks for what you do. Thank you for having me. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 